Welcome to NLC Leading Questions, a new podcast brought to you by the National Leadership Centre. In this series, you'll hear from some of the most inspirational leaders and innovators across the public sector. Whether you're already a chief executive looking to improve your skills or you're stepping into a more senior role, this is the podcast for you. It's going to be packed with advice to make you realise your potential. Hi everybody, my name is Professor Donna Hall and I am currently the chair of New Local. I am also the chair of Bolton NHS Foundation Trust, so I span both worlds, the world of local government and the world of the NHS. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is the Wigan deal. So I was the chief executive of Wigan Council for eight years and we worked really hard with our local communities, with all of our partner organisations in Wigan, which is quite a, a large, it's the ninth largest metropolitan area in the whole of the UK to create a brand new social contract, a completely different relationship between citizen and state in a large and complex local authority. One of the the main reasons for doing it was um, austerity and funding cuts. So we had a really challenging target of over £160 million worth of savings to find. And we knew back in 2011, when we realised we were the third worst cut council of any, uh, more than 400 councils, and we were number three on that list. So we realised we had to do something that was quite radically different and kind of reimagine ourselves and our role thinking about the future role of public services in the place of Wigan. So we didn't go around just cutting individual services, asking departments to make 10% savings year on year, because what would be left of services in the end would be uh, really decimated skeleton services that basically all we would have to do was keep raising the threshold for people to be able to access those services. So we thought, let's think completely differently about our role within the community. Huge impact on our citizens. One of the main things was that we froze council tax for 10 years. So altogether, people paid um, a 0% increase in their council tax, which equates to around £500 saving over that 10-year period, which is something not to be sniffed at, really, when people are on fixed incomes and are struggling because of uh, losing their job or they're on a pension or they're a student. Um, So that was a really important political imperative for for the elected members in Wigan. Something that we were really, really keen to do was to improve life expectancy and particularly healthy life expectancy in Wigan Borough, which was quite bad, really. It was quite poor, uh, particularly in some of our more deprived wards. And one of the most uh, impactful outcomes, really, of the, of the Wigan deal was the fact that we managed to increase healthy life expectancy by seven years in some of the most deprived parts of Wigan, which was quite incredible, really, when you think that nationally uh, the, uh, the tendency is for healthy life expectancy to be going the other way for the first time in, in 40 years, and that was pre-COVID-19. <laughs> So the impact of doing nothing about the funding cuts would have been that we would have just approached it in very much a a kind of salami slice way where we reduced services, we cut the ability to access services and closed down community centres. And we decided that wasn't for us. 
We really did work intensively with our communities. Our communities were our assets in the Wigan deal, 323,000 assets in the local area. So we didn't have any money, but we had uh, some fantastically skilled individuals that we wanted to work differently with, some brilliant networked mutual aid and community organisations. And previously we'd been quite a paternalistic organisation, very top-down, a kind of benign dictatorship, really, within the place. And we didn't really allow communities to to think differently about their their role in delivering services and supporting each other so we wanted to change that and we worked with the NHS so we had um, a great hospital some great primary care practitioners but really we hadn't worked together in that locality uh, for you know really meaningfully together we hadn't wrapped our services and supported individuals and communities in a seamless and whole person, whole family way. We'd kind of interacted with them on a kind of individual silo service, but seeing them as a unit of need. So if they had mental health issues, maybe uh, drug uh, using drugs or, or alcohol, we each individual service would be interacting with them around the various issue that they dealt with, rather than seeing them as as a human being operating within a, a really complex uh, set of services and not trying to help them, but constantly assessing them and referring them. What was the approach? Some of the things that we did really well, I think, was very clear purpose about what we were there to do. We decided that we weren't going to be a scaled down skeleton of a council. We were going to be a very different organisation, moving from direct provision of everything, which is what we were doing pre-2011, before we found out how much we had to save, to much more of an enabler and trying to galvanise the community, galvanise all of the partners, the police, the NHS, housing associations, uh, mental health services, Schools were a key part of the Wigan deal. Independent businesses, private businesses, they all played their part in the creation of this new social contract between citizen and state. So that was really great. And it was quite courageous at the time. Nobody else was doing anything like this. So I think that one of the main things that we did well was be really clear about what we were trying to achieve early on. And it didn't happen overnight, but we were really curious about projects that we'd tried and that had worked, and we were determined to roll them out at scale and with pace. So rather than just having them as interesting little projects that would be evaluated and then the money ran out so they were parked and put on a shelf, uh, we decided to learn from what we had uh, picked up from a project that we did with Nesta called Creative Councils and a project that we did with Hilary Cottam, who wrote the famous book Radical Help. And Hilary came to work with us with some families in one of our more deprived estates to help us think about how we could avoid taking more children and young people into care. So the lessons that we learned from those two projects, we made the way that we worked every single day, 365 days a year. All of our workers, not just within the council, but across the NHS and the police, developing a more relational approach to working with residents. 
And it took time to embed it, but it was a really great, I think, example of, of good practice in public service delivery because we were clear on the purpose of what we were trying to do as public servants. We were there to reform public services, not to just try and make cuts and continue and preserve the old way of doing things. We were trying to remodel the new way of doing things, but do it together with our residents. So lots of great things around staff satisfaction and staff morale within all the public sector bodies working together in Wigan as well. So at the time, the hospital was voted the best hospital to work for by its staff and the council was voted the best council to work for by its staff in the best company survey. So there was something good going on there. Despite the cuts, you think everyone would be doom and gloom about it. But really, people were very much embracing some of the real reasons why they wanted to become public servants in the first place was to actually think differently and to help people, not just to fill in tick boxes and hide behind a clipboard and get lost in the system and its complexity. That was really, really brilliant. We also got awarded Council of the Year uh, last year by the Local Government Chronicle. I think they see this as a, a kind of almost like a blueprint that other organisations could follow. I think it's really important if you're dealing with a, a long-term transformation of a place or of an organisation that you develop a strategy to be sustainable and to sustain that change because people do get exhausted. One of the key things I found that was helpful was keep bringing in new people, keep bringing in new talent, keep refreshing and challenging yourself constantly. Otherwise you get worn down and worn out. So making sure that you have a circle of people around you, trusted people who will really challenge you, make sure that you as a leader have a mentor or a coach. And there's a psychological place of safety that you can offload some of your problems and, and get a really constructive but challenging person to come back. So not somebody who reports directly to you, somebody who is a peer off even from another organisation or another sector. Because personal resilience is absolutely critical. If you are going to be an effective leader, if you're cup is empty then you're not you've nothing to give so it's so important that you look after yourself you get regular exercise fresh air that you get away from work because there's nothing more exhausting than spending 12 hours a day on zoom you know it absolutely depletes you you can't see the body language you can't connect people with people properly so making sure that you get away take regular breaks make sure you have family time that you eat well and uh, that you don't keep messaging and sending emails in the middle of the night, which is what I used to do towards the end when I was exhausted, and it's the wrong thing. You're sending the wrong messages to your team. In terms of what didn't go so well, um, certainly for me personally, there were some lessons learned that uh, occasionally I think I tried to do things too quickly and push some people too quickly, and, and partner organisations, we had to move sometimes at the pace of the slowest partner in the room, and so I got quite frustrated at times because I'm kind of more of a you know, activist, pragmatist, and let's just get on with it. So it takes some time, really. And I learned a lot about relationships during this process and the importance of relationships, getting the relationships right. You kind of underestimate the impact of doing that and spending time getting to know people as people, other chief executives in the system, and, and getting to know your staff and getting everyone to trust you, getting people to trust each other, working in integrated frontline teams. So we really worked hard on, on the partnership, particularly the partnership with the clinical commissioning group and the NHS and that, that was really difficult because people were quite threatened by this different model of working where we put the person at the centre and we used principles of human-centred design and anthropology to redesign pathways and it wasn't the kind of NHS sometimes top
top-down approach to this is how you will do it, this is the model, and these are the targets we will monitor you by. It was much more organic than that and very much based on listening to local residents, listening to what was going wrong, what was going well, and learning from that. And really thinking like an ethnographer, like an anthropologist, about trying to really gain a better understanding of what experiencing public services is like. So lots of barriers were, were put up, really, I think, by, by fear. So I think it was fear that drove a lot of the behaviours that tried to prevent some of this stuff happening or to prevent it happening at the pace that it really should have been delivered. So we had some real issues in parts of our own organisation, actually. Um, some people who were quite sceptical, some people even on the senior management team who thought this wouldn't work. And, you know, we had to do a lot of work on the culture of the organisation, on rethinking our values and our behaviours, and being really clear that that applied to everybody, including members of the senior management team and the elected members, uh, not just frontline staff. And we had to make some hard choices about who kept their jobs, um, who got promoted and who didn't get their jobs. And one of the things that we did that I think had a huge impact on the organisation was design a behaviour-based recruitment package, which was based on on values and behaviours. And um, sounds a little bit draconian, this, but it wasn't actually. If you didn't feel like you fitted with the values of the place, the human-centred design, the public service reform, the relating to people as people, then we said we will help you leave the organisation with dignity, but it's not the right place for you. The fit isn't right. And we had to have some quite difficult conversations with members of my own management team about that. But, you know, looking back, I think it was definitely the right thing to do. And it was amazing, actually. You would see you'd have a restructure within a part of the organisation where there would be some blockers to change. We used to call them vampires occasionally. Not not people who are sceptical. There's nothing wrong with being sceptical. I think that's brilliant. But when people are consistently cynical, haven't got the time or the energy to rethink what they could be doing differently with citizens and the community, then you know, I really don't think that it's right for them to stay in the organisation. People pay a lot of money in council tax and, and taxation generally. We should get the best people we can possibly afford the people with energy and enthusiasm and the cheerleaders for a different way of working with communities. We really learned a lot early on around around relationships, around getting people with the energy and the appetite, the kind of spark plug people, I call them, people who really get the engine of the system moving. They may not be the most senior people within the organisation, but they are the people who you always turn to in a crisis or the people who keep the ship running and, and kind of um, come up with some amazing ideas and are so well networked. Helen Bevan from the NHS Transformation Unit calls them um, the connectors and the super connectors and they make about 80% of change happen and they are only about 3% of the composition of our organisation. So really tapping into that 3% of the spark plug people and surrounding yourself as a leader with those people, using them to test ideas, making sure that you don't ignore them when they are doubtful about something and you really listen hard to them. Again, going back to the principles of of anthropology and ethnography. Cross-public sector working is absolutely critical to something like the Wigan deal. People don't live their lives, basically, around the way that we divide our services up. They just want support from the NHS, from local government, from housing services, from community and voluntary services, and they don't see the divisions that we see. So our ambition in Wigan was to create seamless services so people really couldn't tell who was delivering those services. And the way we did that was having the same 
training that everyone within the place could say that they'd been on and that they believed in. So we called it the BU Wigan experience, where we got frontline staff to host a kind of interactive walkthrough session to talk about values, to talk about how we listen differently. And it was really successful. It won all sorts of uh, personnel uh, awards and we also set up seven integrated place-based teams so we had police officers housing officers uh, people from the hospital doctors people from the school wrapping support around individuals and families through something called risk stratification uh, where basically we knew before it happened who was likely to be admitted to hospital for an unplanned admission. And through GP practices, we wrapped prevention and community support and did everything we could to support those people. And within a year, we saw a 30% reduction in unplanned hospital admissions from within that group of people that we'd identified across the public sector system. So the real success at the heart of the Wigan deal was the communities and the investment that we made in local communities. So over a, a five-year period, we put 13 million into community and voluntary sector projects. We called it the Community Investment Fund, and it was fantastic. And it was very much based on prevention, on supporting great ideas that we would never have thought of, but local community and neighbourhood groups were all over this and they'd got some great ideas about improving people's mental health, supporting people to get more physically active, in losing weight, stopping smoking and in connecting people within their locality into groups and things that they were really passionate and interested in. So one of the things was um, something called a rugby memories group where previously we'd had people sat in day centres which were run by the council which were people pick somebody up in the morning and put them in a minibus, ship them around the borough and bring them and sit them in a in a day centre. But they, they were sat with people they didn't know, they didn't really have a, any kind of shared interests. So instead we worked with Wigan Warriors and we gave them some money to come in and get some of the players and former players and some of the people who'd got old programmes from years ago and tapped into what people loved about Wigan, which is memories of rugby. So particularly popular with people with uh, with dementia, you know, to rally, really bring back memories of what people loved about living in Wigan and supporting their favourite team. And, and those connections were, were lifelong connections that people made. It's that kind of thinking differently and that... That cost around £17 per person per year. So coming down from a package of care, about £2,500 a week for the day centre option to something like that, you know, that's the kind of different type of thinking that we were using. And it wasn't us just doing it. It was very much listening to the third sector, listening to the private sector, listening to other organisations and, and really trying to learn and think differently. What were the outcomes? The key result of the Wigan deal was the fact that people paid a hell of a lot less council tax than they would have done if we'd just ratcheted it up to the 5%, which was the kind of maximum of what we could charge our residents and kind of pass the cost and the burden of the funding cuts onto them, onto local people. But we felt that that wasn't the right thing to do. And we felt that there was a real uh, onus on us to find different ways of working and to think about building on what we had got, which was people, 
brilliant assets in the local community and trying to find the savings ourselves, as well as becoming more efficient, cutting all the bureaucracy that councils and the NHS have. And it's still there, the duplication between different services. We know ourselves when we're trying to access certain services that you tend to get asked the same questions over and over again. You get passed on to different people. It isn't based on the reality of how we live our lives in the modern world. So it really did have a huge impact on public perception of local government. We, Our satisfaction rate as a council with people in Wigan went up 59% in a couple of years. So despite all the funding cuts that we made, over 160 million, people were more satisfied and, and also paying less council tax because they could see the benefit of being listened to in a different way. And that was the deal, really. The symbol is a, is a handshake. It's a partnership. It's a new social contract. It's being part of the solution it's being co-produced it's building on the good things in a local area rather than just cutting back everything and shutting things down which is what I see happening in in other areas so key things that we learned were that you know you've got to do this with courage you've got to do this at scale and pace you've got to take people with you it's pointless if you do things to people you've got to do it with them you've got to listen to staff harder we had some fantastic sessions with our staff. We've got the leader of the council, the cabinet and my management team to have structured listening sessions. And it's brilliant. You can easily do this on, on Zoom nowadays. But we would get about 100 people in a room. We would uh, ask them lots of questions about what they thought the future direction of the council was, what they felt the culture was like in their team, in the wider organisation, how listened to they felt. And there was a real humility about that from myself and the leader. We admitted we don't get everything right we need to listen to you and that's quite different for a form of leadership really that kind of servant leader type model we also did the same with our residents we had have your say sessions in local communities where people would tell us as it was and they did <laughs> very vocally tell us when things were going wrong and again that humility look we're not getting everything right we want to listen we want to learn is incredibly powerful for any type of organisation, whether it's in the NHS, the private sector or in local government. So that honesty, that humility. In terms of doing things differently, I think perhaps some elements of the transformation could have been done a little bit quicker. You know, I'll be honest, in the early years, but we are finding our way. And you've got to think about, you know, we don't want to spoil relationships. So you've got to sacrifice speed occasionally for relationships because the relationships are absolutely key. So finally, just to close, what I would recommend to other public sector organisations, individual leaders and, and anybody really trying to deal with the kind of current crisis that we find ourselves in and obviously real funding challenges is have a plan, <laughs> develop a plan that is not just about cuts and the servicing of status quo. Really think long and hard about what you want to be like in five years. Do you want to be an enabler or a provider and how are you going to get there? And try to think about the leaders that you've got around you, about how you listen and really think about where you want to focus your energies. Because you as a leader, everything that you do, people are watching all the time, people are listening to you, listening to your every word. And where you put your energies will be where the organisation goes. So whether it's a political leader or a chief executive, then it's so important that you focus on the right things, focus on culture change, focus on transformation, focus on positivity and focus on listening. If people are interested in finding out a little bit more about it, there's a great piece of work by the King's Fund called an evaluation and lessons learned from the Wigan deal, which 
people have um, are found to be really, really helpful. Thank you so much for listening to the National Leadership Centre Leading Questions with me, Donna Hall, Chair of New Local. This podcast was brought to you by the National Leadership Centre. For more information, head to nationalleadership.gov.uk. We hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you.